Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Scramble Podcast brought to you by Farmer's Hen House. Eggs that not only taste good, but do good for the farmer, for the hen, for the environment, and for you. My name is Brett, and today I am down in northern Missouri, uh, joined by two of our farmers down here, our free-range farmers, uh, and they happen to be related. Uh, And so today we have Darren and Kervin Weiler, and Darren... We are hanging out in your dining room right now. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. So Darren has been kind enough to allow us to invade his his dining room table, and uh, his father, Kervin, has also joined us. Kervin, how was the drive over today? It was a good drive. Sun shining. Everything is green and looking good here in northern Missouri. And it's not hot at all, right? It wasn't wasn't hot in my truck, but outside it's <laughs> in the mid 80s. Yeah, that's not too bad. Is it? Is it? Would you say this is, has been a typical summer so far? I, as far as weather, obviously there's a lot of things that aren't typical about this summer. Well, normally at this time of the year, the grass is starting to turn brown and the crops are suffering, wishing for another rain. But that hasn't been the case this year. So far this year, it's been looking really good. Yeah, and you got now. Do you, do you guys both grow crops as well, in addition to having hens? Not me as Darren, no, I don't. Don't grow crops, I do have hens. Yeah, you do. You got, you got a few of them, right? Yep. <laughs> Kevin, do you grow crops? I have several hundred acres worth of corn and soybean beans. As a, I use the corn to feed my hens to produce eggs. Yeah. And that, that's what we call our, our on-farm grain cycle. Have you guys read about this yet? I'll have to fill you in on it, but we're just highlighting how a lot of our farmers grow their own grain, their own feed on the, the, uh, the farm itself, rather than just having it come from outside. So, so Kervin is one of those on-farm grain cyclers, we could say. Um, so yeah, real briefly, if you guys uh, would maybe just share uh, how long you've been farming with Farmer's Hen House and uh, what brought you to the hen house? So as Darren here, I've been with Farmer's Hen House, I guess this will be my first flock. So it's been 2019 I got in and so far it's been good. I guess we'll see what the future is, but no, it is definitely a good company to be with, but I have not been with them long at this time. And as Kervin, I, in, in the past, I've worked out I got on the home farm and was doing a little part-time work to make everything work and I met up with a young man that come down from Kelowna that was down here lived here for a little bit and he told me about farmers hen house and eggs and as of as of that time there was no chickens house or I should say egg layer farms or anything of that type in this area and so I did a little investigation and like what I heard and I liked the folks I met at Farmer's Hen House and I guess I got a contract with them back in I guess I, my first flock was in 2007. Okay. Who who is that person that came down from Kelowna? Was it a was it a farmer? No, it was oh, okay. not a farmer. I just I can't think of his name at the moment. I can see his face. Do you remember um and and, and did he work for Farmer's Hen House, or he just no, was he aware just, of it he and just, just was shared about it? it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Okay. And so in northern Missouri, there were really no, no egg-laying barns like that. There was no egg-laying barns here in northern Missouri. Everybody thought it was fairly crazy at the time. Now there's probably at least a dozen of them in the area, so went over, I believe. Yeah. Well, why, why would uh, some people think it was crazy? Big investment, no proof that it would work, just a lot of people were skeptical. Yeah, yeah. They, they looked at me like oh, there was something wrong with me at that time. So, so were you the first farmer to build a barn first. and have hens and yeah in this area? Wow, yes. and that was in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. I actually would have built in the, you might say fall winter of 06 and 07, I would have got my hens. Yeah, and so as people saw that it it wasn't actually that crazy, that big of a risk, others started to to do it as well. I'm not sure if that's really what got it going, but yeah, it's it just from there it mushroomed from there. Yeah, yeah. wow. And Kervin, you also 
uh, whole eggs too, right? I do. That was one of the things they had told me at that time. At that time, they didn't have anyone that far from Farmer's Hen House. So they said, well, you know, if things get bad and we don't need your eggs, being you're the farthest away, it of course would cost the most to haul them up there. Yeah. We would probably be most likely to drop you first. Yeah. And I said, well, how about if I haul my own eggs? Oh, that'd be all right. And then they came back to me and said, well, would you be interested in hauling eggs for us? Yeah. And it went from there. At that time, there was, well, I started looking for trucks. Sure. And I was thinking a box truck just to haul eggs. And they said, I don't think you understand. We're talking reefer trailer and a semi truck. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So at that time, there was a scant load with Boomfield, Drakesville area. Okay. Uh, one load a week. Yeah. I would take. And after a while, it turned into a load and a half, then it turned into two loads, and it's it's four loads now with Bloomfield, Drakesville, and, and Northern Missouri. Yeah, and is that one trip a week then? I take two trips, but they have two trips. Uh, there's okay. actually four trips available, but two's all I was willing to do. Be, sure. To do that, I have time to take care of hens and do my farming on other the rest of the week. So yeah. It's all I was willing to do. Yeah. So you wear a couple hats then with the hen house. I Far do. Farmer and hauler. Yeah, I do. That's good. So, um, you guys are, as a family, are originally from Northern Missouri, Missouri then? Or I should say Missouri, right? Is it Missouri or Missouri? I get corrected on that Missouri. a few times. Missouri? Yeah. Okay. My parents would have moved here when I was three. Okay. And they, they moved from? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, this is home then. It's been home for this is, a long this is, time. Yeah, this yeah. is all that I remember as home, and of course it is home all for Darren. Home, yeah. Oh, yeah. home for me as long as I was in existence, I guess. Yeah. And so, Darren, you're you're wearing a shirt that doesn't say Farmer's Hen House on it, I notice. And so, you also have another job, is that correct? Yeah, I work a day job as well as having the chicken barn, that's right. And wait. what, wait, is it something that, uh, it just it's a good balance, would you say? I'd say it's a very good balance. Right, right now, my wife does most of the morning chores, which is less than ideal, but overall it balances out well for me, yes. Yeah, and then w once the kids start coming along, then that'll take some of the burden off your wife, right? That's <laughs> long-term, yes, it should, you're right. Because Darren, you're, you're, would you say you're newly married? I would say so, it's three, right three years now, so yes, newly married. Okay, and before we started recording, uh, I was just in awe of the fact that Darren is only 24 years old, if we can say that on air. Is, are you okay with us telling your That's age on air? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, he only looks like he's 23, though. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's only 24. He's got uh, his business uh, as a farmer uh, with the hen house. And then he's got, uh, obviously, a job and a wife and a house and land. And I was thinking when I was 24, <laughs> I don't think I had any of those things. Um, and so, uh, it's cool to, to see just that industriousness, that ambition and, uh, and you seem wise and older, uh, than 24 to me. So that's a compliment to you. Yes. That's you a don't compliment. look it, but yeah, you, right. see, you seem it just based upon your maturity. Um, so if there's any 24 year olds listening, uh, right now to this podcast, they're, yeah, there's, it's possible. There's the potential here with you at the, the hen house. We'll get you in contact with Darren. Maybe he could be a, a resource or a mentor. Sure, yeah, I'm into that. It's definitely a large undertaking to do a barn like I did, but it's well worth it. Yeah. Now, do you got any other friends who uh, have been inspired by what you've done? I have various of my friends asking about doing a barn. Right now, none of them have a barn, but they all think it looks like something they could do as well, so... I guess I make it look good. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> so um, one of the things I want to talk about today and what, what uh, we had talked about before we started recording was uh, just the fact that, that Darren uh, is um, uh, along, I should say, with being a successful young uh, individual in his pursuits of uh, farming and of work and marriage. Uh, has also recently undergone uh, an incredible triumph. Uh, uh, would, would probably within this past what few months, yeah. right? Yeah, within um, the past four months for sure. Yep. Yeah, of of uh, experiencing what would be considered probably a horrific accident, 
um, and somehow uh, making an incredible recovery. And so I thought this would be a, a story that I think is, is certainly worth recording and capturing um, just because of, of just the incredible nature of, of Darren's recovery. Um, to hear just kind of Kervin's uh, experience, what that was like as well. Um, but two, it's just, it's, it's showing uh, those who are listening, uh, just the, the, the story behind the egg, right? The story that our farmers, uh, all the different stories our farmers bring uh, into the work they do. So Darren, if you wouldn't mind, um, maybe just uh, tell us what happened when the, with the accident. So for preliminaries, I'm just going to say the first 10 days after the accident, I remember next to nothing. But I'll go ahead and start out as a normal day there on March 24 and come towards evening chore time. I just thought I would ride out to the barn on my four-wheeler, do that various times. And of course, I don't remember what happened, but somehow I got my quad off the side of the road doing, I don't know how fast I was going, probably between 20 and 30 miles per hour left front tire impacted a tree hard enough and I obviously was braced for it, saw it coming, threw me off over the front and while it did that it fractured three of my ribs not from impact really from the ground or tree anything like that I had no external damage on my body but anyways I end up with three fractured ribs and some brain shear which would be the one lobe of the brain moving separately from the other so it basically tore the brain per se but yes so I was laying there and probably would have died right there if nobody came along and thankfully it's not a very heavily traveled gravel road but two young men were out just doing whatever they were doing it was dusk so they saw the lights down there and, oh you know we ought to go check that out you know it's kind of random for a four-wheeler to be down there in the trees go down there and here's a four-wheeler exhaust still popping from running so couldn't have been very long I don't know between 10 and 20 minutes they go down and saw me laying there and right away thought I was possibly dead and then they saw I was struggling for air so right away it was 911 obviously and people were pretty soon on the site um, of course I don't remember that but I was laying there and they right away were thinking you know get a chopper in and fly him to Columbia which would be two hours from my house and good for us it didn't work out for a chopper they end up running, transporting me via ambulance to a hospital an hour from my house now the whole COVID epidemic the hospital that was two hours from my house was on lockdown hard enough my wife wouldn't even been allowed inside so turns out it was a good thing and they transported me by ambulance to Quincy which is an hour from here and there they didn't have any COVID patients so far so they did allow my wife to be in there for the first two weeks after that, they did get a COVID patient in there and told her, well, you're going to have to go home. You know, So that was not all that great, but at least she was there for the first two weeks. So anyways, a bunch of first responders show up and we're right away put oxygen on because they could see I was struggling for air. Got me in the ambulance and we go to the hospital and into the ER and they're taking care of me. And right away, they're telling my wife, you know, if he survives the night, we'll do this and this. She's like, well, you know, I hope he survives tonight, obviously. And I did, you know, and I don't remember that, but I did. So that would have been the second day. Anyway, the first, either way, the first 10 days, I they drugged me hard enough on drugs. And I looked up one of the drugs that gave me a name of it. And it said 50 to 100 times as strong as morphine. So wow. obviously some pretty heavy drugs. Yeah. And they said, told my wife, said he probably won't remember this because we drugged him hard enough to... Well, first of all, when I came in there, they saw I was I was hyperventilating, 60 breaths a minute, you know, and right away they're like, well, we can't do that. You know, we got to we gotta knock him out to work and recover. So they knocked me, basically paralyzed me with some heavy drugs. And I don't remember anything. My wife said I started coming to a little bit on day number five, but not focusing on anything. My eyes were like distant and I didn't, definitely didn't focus on anything or could barely communicate. But Day number five and on, I would do something if they, you know, say, squeeze my hand, things like that. I would do that. Day number seven or eight, I'm not sure which day it was, I actually started to talk and could talk to her. And, you know, she was there telling me, you know, what happened, you know, on frequent times. She would just tell me what happened so that when I come to, you know, it wouldn't be a shock that I was here. 
So when I came to, I don't remember a definite coming to, but slowly came to, and I already knew what had taken place, and right away when yeah, I was... Because you, re you remembered the accident, obviously, before you hit, or you didn't I, even remember that? Two days before the accident, we had some people over. I can remember that. After that, very little memory of it. So. Okay. So and, when, you, when you woke up in the hospital and came to... You knew, but you said you knew why you were there. Yeah, she had told me often enough in my semi-conscious state that I had figured out why I was there. I, I got you. It wasn't a shock to me, and by the time I got fully conscious, she had turned everything off on my phone so that I wouldn't get any, you know, alerts from my barn or couldn't even view the barn. And I was fully conscious. I was, I guess, I was right away. I was like, "Well, who's doing the chores?" You know, I <laughs> worried about the chores. Now that's all taken care of. Just relax. And, well, that wasn't easy, but okay, sure. If it's taken care of, I can relax. And so we kept moved down from IC or intensive care on day number ten. They moved me to the floor. They called it just a regular room. I still had to have a person constantly there by my bed to make sure I don't get this sun idea to get up. Because I would do that, say, you know, hey, got to get up and go do this, which would be something totally not related to the hospital. Maybe chores, maybe work, something. I would have some random ideas what I have to go do, and they would have to hold me down and, you know, tell me I can't go do that. And So they had somebody in my room full time. And that was when on the floor, somebody was in the room all the time. So do you, now do you recall, like, that urgency or that need to go do something? I don't really recall trying to get up. What I really recall about getting up was... People, two people holding on my armpits, two nurses, you know, we walked the hall and with brain injury, I had the urge to walk, you know, way too fast. It was the right side of the brain. So therefore my left side, which the right side of your brain works with the left side of your body. So my left side was super weak. I would get my legs all tangled up and they had to hold me up and they're slow down, slow down, just, you know, focus on your feet, keep them one after the next. That was the struggle at first. So, so you, so you recall then, uh, just that kind of disconnect yes between your brain and your body oh yeah yeah, yeah that yeah. was very real yep and you couldn't you could barely focus enough to walk in a straight line i mean it was it was a struggle you know i just want to go fast and now then i get tangled up and they have to hold me up so finally we get worked through that and they're taking me to physical therapy and they're like well previously i could you know with my hand i could squeeze between 100 and 125 pounds my right side was still there my left side, I could now squeeze 20 pounds. So we're gonna work your left side. Being a dominant right-hander, it was a real struggle to me to do all my therapy with my left hand, but that was part of the therapy. You gotta get your left side back up to what it was. So physical therapy was probably, there was various therapies. Speech therapy, physical therapy, and brain therapy, a little bit of that. Physical therapy was a real challenge for me doing everything with my left hand because of course it didn't work even as well as it had and there I was constantly asking him, you know when, when are we gonna be through this you know when can I go home well no you got to get back to inspect what you what we think you know your right and left hand should be close to the same and I try to tell him it wasn't even before the accident but that was besides the point mm -hmm. and so they got kept working with my left hand they were telling my wife you know it could be four weeks of therapy to I guess to come home, which would have been early May. Well, turns out everything obviously was progressing quite well, even better than they had expected. So they gave me a release date of April 26, I believe. It was 28 days in the hospital. Wow. So I got through that. It was a lot of hard work for sure, a lot of determination, but at least they had a hospital available. I was very thankful for that. So, so ten day, those first ten days, you were remember. essentially I said was in intensive care, not yeah. in a coma, but like in a no, a, basically in a drugged coma. Drug state, yeah, yeah knocked me out, so I don't remember. Can't just they were just like he got to relax so he can heal. So they just you know knocked me out, and so, coming out of that was a slow process. You know, slowly I couldn't focus. I would you know be looking around. And, so when you. Uh, uh, that first day when you came into the hospital, they told your wife, the doctors told your wife that, you know, if he makes it through the night. That's correct. What, what, like, I guess, why were they concerned that you might not make it through the night? For one thing, I'd aspirated, so I had, like, essentially throw up down in my lungs so I could 
couldn't breathe very well and they were really worried about, they didn't know how extensive the brain damage was. There's really no way they could x-ray or see what that is. And they were concerned that my brain is gonna tell me to shut down. Therefore, I would, you know, die on the spot. They were just very concerned about the first night. She's like, what other damage does he have? Well, three fractured ribs, but they're not concerned about those at all. You know, the brain is what would tell your body not to survive and put me on a respirator, which is, was good. I, they had relaxed my body with drugs to where I didn't even know to breathe, essentially, so this wow. respirator would keep me breathing and at a normal pace. And <clears throat> eventually, they saw I wasn't getting enough oxygen, so they were like, well, we're gonna have to go in and suck his lungs out because he has this aspirate into his lungs. They're kind of full of this throw up, you know, whatever it was that happened on the accident site. So I believe on day number two or three, they stuck the tube down there, down my throat, sucked my lungs You're out. You're insane day two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Day two. Sucked my lungs out and they said, well, if this is not enough, we're gonna have to put a trach down his throat. You know, we can't have the respirator on longer than 10 days at the max. Now why is and that? What does it do? They didn't tell me what it does. I don't know if I remember. On 10 days, your body will, after the 10 day mark, it's less likely that your body will think it has to breathe, oh. I believe, after you come off of that. Day number 10 was their cutoff. So it, it um, conditions your body to think you breathe essentially through a respirator rather yes. than through your own lungs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. So day number nine, they were like, well, you know, tomorrow if he doesn't start to breathe, we're gonna have to put a trach down his throat, which would be a nasty scar for the rest of my life. So yeah. my wife wasn't really wild about that, but at that point she's like, well, whatever you gotta do, do it. So what, what is a, a trach? It's basically a tube going down to your lungs, I guess, where they can put oxygen straight away down to your lungs okay. without I, the respirator. I don't know if the tube goes the whole way down. I think they just fasten it to a piece of plastic that it fastens to like right here. Right outside on your neck? Uh, uh, yeah, well it's actually down, yeah, below your, might say below your throat, mm -hmm. just right into your, yeah. into your um, esophagus there. Well, the esophagus could be, I'm sure that, that would be what goes to your stomach. This would be hooked right into where it goes right to your lungs. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, wow. But on day number nine, they started back in the ventilator off just to see if I would breathe. And astonishingly, I did help breathe and could even breathe on my own. So like, well, we'll pull it off on day number 10. And as long as we know we can pull it off on day number 10, we're fine with that. So and they did. So was, it, was that something they were 100% sure that if they pulled it off, you would be able to breathe on your own? Or was there a kind of a risk they were, taking well, it off? It was, it was breathing like 12 breaths a minute respirator yeah and he started breathing 14 so they said he's breathing on his own right and so that night they went ahead and that not exactly what they did they made left you rest they mm -hmm. tried to give you a little more drug you a little more so the so you could rest and the next day they backed that off again and he breathed that day on his own again faster than the respirator would have yeah. all day long and that gave him the confidence and so then. then that night also so then the next day they said well now he can come off and they just gave him oxygen and left him breathe on his own. Yeah, and so that was timed, because you said that was day 10, right? That would have been on day 10, I believe, is when they actually pulled it off. Yes. And that's when you came to begin to That's when I remember aware from there of, yeah. before. I mean, I may have been semi-conscious, but I don't have any memories of the other, of yeah. before day 10 at all. Yeah, so Kirvin, how quickly were you at the hospital? Well, we went down that night Okay. We were we were actually out chorn. Yep. Me and two of the other sons, and one of the young men that he said found him was actually my third son's friend, and uh, he called him and said, "We found Darren. He's over here. He's breathing, but he's not responsive." What while they were on site? They were on Darren. site. Yeah, I, I'm assuming they called before even all the res first responders sure. and all. They just called him, yep. and so mom and I knew it. Wow. Very soon, they he ran out and told me, and mom, she jumped in the van and came over here to meet Darren's wife, Laura. Yep. And I ran in and said, "Well, this is going to be a hospital stay. I'm in my short clothes." And I quick changed clothes and yep. then ran over here. Until I got here, they had him on the backboard they had him out of the ditch and up okay and the ambulance was here and there was various other folks so i don't know how soon he actually called 
I'm assuming that he called soon, but it didn't take me but probably 20 minutes, maybe 25 from the time he would have, by the time my other son would have found it until I got here, it was probably 25 minutes. Yeah. So I'm assuming maybe I didn't get called immediately. Yeah. Were, were you able to see him then when you came on site? And they're yeah, they left. Him? I just walked right up. Yeah. They didn't. I, I figured they were going to have someone watching, but they also knew the folks that were here knew that I was his dad yeah and so i assume maybe i got a free pass sure i don't know yeah but he was he was on strapped down to the backboard on the road and someone was there assessing him talking to the hospital saying well he does this he doesn't do that obviously has collapsed lung, maybe punctured one side gurgling and no he's not responding but he is breathing and yeah wow. he was in this didn't this didn't sound very good to me you know so then i walked in to look at the forward and well, I could see where I was pretty sure where he hit this so I figured he's gonna have damage and I had already seen him and looked like he would have went underneath the tree there and his face wasn't scraped up at all so really? I I wasn't sure exactly what happened but we got down of course then I came up to the house and we were down there for quite a while they kept trying to get a chopper out of Columbia no they can't fly from there bad weather so they called Quincy they called up I'm not exactly sure where somewhere in Iowa and no no choppers had come well yeah. like Darren said I was, we found out later they say that's not really, the change in pressure is not good for brain damage. Injury, yeah. So it was actually in our favor. Yeah. But anyway, in between there, meantime, when I seen, well, this doesn't look good at all, I quick called our deacon and got the prayer chain started. We have a, yeah. got got that started a while. I said, well, it's everything we can do to help us out, you know? Right, right. And so, I, and I feel, I feel like, uh, last time I was down here, we we, took, we obviously talked about this a little bit, but from um, your perspective, I mean, you, I think you shared that there were moments where you weren't sure if he would pull through. Is that right? Well, I, I thought, if you can't fly him to Columbia, why don't you just put him in the ambulance and drive him there? Yeah. It's two hours away, and they said, he won't live that long. Really? That's what they said. He won't be alive till we get there. Wow. That's what they said. Yeah. Thankfully, one of the first responders lives half a mile down the road at the most, and he had oxygen in his vehicle, and he put oxygen on me right away. So that helped minimize the brain damage because they were asking my wife right away when she got to the hospital, how long was he out of oxygen? That's what they were worried about, you know, how much brain damage did the lack of oxygen cause? And she, my wife, didn't even know that I was involved in the accident. She could see the scene from my, in the house, saw everybody arriving, she tried to call me, and I didn't answer, but I don't have service in the barn, so she presumed I was not involved, she knew I was, you know, ran out to the barn in my four-wheeler, and, yeah. you know, presumed I was there and didn't have service, and she was, kept watching it, and well, she's like, well, she don't know, you know, I don't answer, but sure, I'll be coming back in from the barn, and then mom actually came up here, and she saw her coming up the road, she's like, oh no, it's not good, oh, wow. and she came in here, and she's like, Darren was in an accident, she's like, oh boy. So she quick went and changed her clothes, got ready to leave. She knew it was going to be bad, but no, she didn't. She, honestly, it was probably close to 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes after the accident. First responders were showing up that she even knew that I was the one involved. So, so, so there's pro probably 20 minutes where you were lying there, you think? or? I would say between 10 and 15 minutes. Okay. She would have, from the time he left, how was that? You When you left here... You knew what time you left, is that what? Yep. You knew when you had looked at his phone, that's what the deal. He looked at his phone at, I don't have the times now with me, do you know? No. And she would have texted you at 8.45. We knew there was only a 15 minute space in between there that that he could have been laying, yeah. laying yeah. there. So the, the injury to your brain, you said, was a essentially a tear right? basically it was a shear the one side of the brain moved faster than the other for whatever reason I don't know but even the doctors like it definitely had to stretch some things we don't know what all it tore you know the only way we'll know that is when he comes back to what he has yet and what he lost you know the brain will figure out different ways to do this but you don't know you know he may just you know have lost something and they were telling her the whole time to expect an extreme personality change or at least a personality change of some sort. Well, she says she can't tell any personality difference, so it's very minor if there is, but they were preparing her for that for sure. You know, don't don't expect him to be what he was before. You know, it's going to be a personality change. And 
Wow. Thankfully, they, there they, wasn't. S- they stressed that expect personality change. That's what they were telling us as his wife and parents sitting there. Yeah. Were there any particular personality traits you were hoping he would uh, gain? <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess no, I was... Darren, Darren's perfect as he is, right? I thought Darren's Darren. We're happy with what That's he right. is. <laughs> so, um, the the tear, did that require, or the shear, did that require any surgery or anything? No, no surgery. Just left it healed back to where it was. Just for sure, don't be banging your head in the next even in the next year he said in the next year if you bang your head hard enough to cause another brain injury said do not expect to gain as much as you did so wow no sports no horseback riding no biking no water sports nothing like that they were like for a year for a year is what they said at least it was in march he said for sure till the end of this year longer than that would be a little better yeah have you uh abided i've tried to abide very well yes because from my point of view I don't really want to lose anything that I gain back. So I, you know, I would do some sports, but it's definitely the trade-off is great enough. I have tried to abstain from sports as a whole. Yeah. Have you got back on ATV since? I've been on ATV, I drive real nice. Um, yes, my wife was very nervous when I first started riding ATV out to the barn again, but she got over that. She saw it was working like it always did. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm back on ATV, but definitely drive very carefully and make sure what you do. Sure. One of the things that I had thought of when I was down there, he was not wearing a helmet, and I had mentioned that, and the doctor said, in this case, a helmet would have done absolutely no good. Brain shear is not because of that. It was because of this. Just the, the he, velocity. He said, or yeah, the, and yeah. I was saying, well, he hit something, and the doctor saying, he didn't hit anything. And I'm like, well, he has broken ribs and, and a collapsed lung. And the doctor's like, he didn't hit anything. Severe torsional twist. Wow. So I'm what I'm presuming it was is I saw it was going bad for whatever reason. And I would have been braced as hard as could be. So when I hit that tree, my arms were probably totally braced. And that was transferred the shock directly to me. Yeah. Ideally, I probably would have been more relaxed. Just flew off. It may have not been as bad. But of course... When you're in a situation like that, you're braced up, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because I've heard stories about, uh, you know, people falling asleep at the wheel and then getting into an accident and just walking away essentially yeah. unscathed. Mm-hmm. Even, um, even even drunks, they say the drunk often comes out better than the person that hit just because he's not... He's completely he's relaxed. relaxed. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, and how that actually is a, a benefit mm-hmm. uh, to their ability to not take that impact uh, and, and, and obviously, if you're braced like that mm-hmm. and, you're, and you're tightened up, then there's going to be a greater impact, it seems like, uh, yeah. in most cases. Um, so as far as uh, today, what would you say are kind of the biggest challenges, apart from not being able to you know, do things that uh, could be a risk for head injury? Biggest challenge I face currently, before I was, I, I say semi-energetic, I don't know, some people might call me energetic, I was definitely a go-getter. Now it's just everything is so tiring, which is slowly getting better over time, but went back to work part-time in May, and definitely by Wednesday I would just be ready to sleep. I mean, it was just very tiring. Slowly worked it up to where now I'm working full-time, but towards the end of the week, wake up, say Thursday morning, Friday morning, the desire to go tackle work is not there. You're just like, man, I could just sleep. So yeah. the biggest biggest challenge I really face is just being extremely tired. But other than that, I feel I've regained everything. Obviously, there's a memory lapse in there I don't remember. Long Longer ago, I mean, I remember all that, which actually my wife says uh, longer ago things, like when I was, you know, 16 to 19, those were the things I was bringing up right away. That was when I was t- talking, you know, I would talk about things that happened a couple years ago rather than the immediate history. So that must have been what was most prevalent at that time. Yeah. Um, so the fatigue, is that something that the doctors uh, like kind of warned you on that would happen? Or is that yes. something that you just kind of noticed? No, they warned me. You'll be, don't expect to get right back to your normal tasks. You'll be extremely tired. And to begin with, I was weak. You know, even, even physical therapy, you know, they got you to where they could release you. but. It was still, I was 
didn't have my balance fully, still a little tippy and stepping up on something of, you know, two foot tall or taller where I would reach out with one leg and try to step up. That was a challenge. And I'd be a little bit tippy and very, very tired. Very tired. Yeah. Um, the best way I would know of describing it is if someone that had a stroke, the one side just didn't work as well as it used to. Yeah. Yeah. And then through rehab though, they're bringing it back. Uh, yeah, bringing it back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, apart from just the physical challenges, uh, how would you say it's, or if it has um, given you any kind of new outlook or perspective on life, or has it? On life as a whole, it definitely gives you more appreciation for people around you. And for sure, for family, obviously they were doing, family and friends were doing the chores other in the hospital, which I'm very thankful for. Somebody had to do them. So people- Kervin, was that, were you helping out with that a little bit? I helped out some, but it was actually his two next brothers that pretty much did oh, really? the chores. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Two so, brothers said, we're gonna do it. We had plenty of other offers that people wanted to help. Yeah. And the brothers weren't willing to do that yet. They wanted to do this for him. Yeah. Thankfully, the one had done the chores one time, so he knew the basics, but there was still some things, and my wife is very involved with the chores. She could she could help him out, too. If they had questions, they would call her, and she you know, we'll do this or do that. But Yeah, so those brothers can expect a pretty good birthday gift or a Christmas <laughs> present. <laughs> yeah, that's the, the, for the, sure. The, the, the present was that we got Darren back. That's right. The true Darren. We, didn't, we, were, we were told that to expect personality change, and we were given, of course, the doctor story of, of what I want to say worst case scenario yeah that way anything that we got back over than that was we were happy for they didn't they didn't sugarcoat anything they yeah they weren't even sure he's gonna wake back up they don't know if he's gonna recognize you when he does wake back up that's yeah. what they were saying you know we, we we don't know yeah that's like my wife right away as soon after I got back to consciousness she was asking me you know you know she asked me if I know her name well I did she was glad for that because some people, you know, in a tragedy like that, they may not even remember their companion or remember their name or even remember they're married. So it was, it was definitely a very, very encouraging sign for her that I remembered her, knew who she was, all that. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say some of the stuff he said wasn't correct, but for the most part, it seemed like he knew. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Oh, some of the dates or the times or some of the questions he's asked him just didn't really make sense to him. Yeah, yeah. For the longest while, I couldn't even remember my own birth date. I can remember a wedding date and the various dates. And various my, phone numbers. My birth date was just a total blank spot. And that was actually halfway through rehab till I, after they were drilling me and drilling me with what it was till I, could, till I knew when I was born. You know, it was... So the, and they weren't were they giving you the answer or were they 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 would at first okay yeah they would ask me and I would give them some random date that wasn't even close to correct and no it was nine twenty six and ninety five is when I was born September twenty six and it took a while till my brain relearned this when I was born which was pretty amazing but yeah so you've probably gotten a significant education of the brain through all this right yes very much so it reminds you how fragile it is up there in your head so yeah it's a protector right <laughs> yeah that's for sure um now has this uh inspired you to want to go back or go to school and you know get an education in neurology or be a a uh, brain surgeon or anything like that nothing like that no i had no desire to really get into that i do have a much greater appreciation or awareness of people that are through something like that before it was like okay you know this won't happen to me whatever now it's like okay what do we gotta do well, can we help them at all you know it's it's very real very real yeah blink of an eye change your life yeah had you had you experienced anything like that in your life or witnessed anything like that in your life obviously probably not as close to home maybe no nothing close to home yeah my parents are living, no major accidents that I can think of. Yeah. So do you feel like uh, Darren's accident had a impact on your outlook on life? Well, just as he said, it made us realize that there's no promise for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Although all we know is that the hens will keep laying eggs tomorrow, though, right? Whether somebody's there to collect <laughs> yeah, them or not, they'll probably <laughs> be laying eggs. You're right. That's why it's important to have your uh, your uh, friends and family as backup for chores, perhaps. That's right. Generally, <laughs> we don't really need them a lot, but when you do, you you at least somebody you know is going to stay there and help and be trustworthy. Yes. So we 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 headed down there with no. I guess I didn't tell my wife and his wife that they said he might not wouldn't be able to make it to Columbia. Yeah. But I headed down there with no illusions. I didn't know if we get there they're gonna say he's no longer with us. Right. We had no idea. So you were the only one of the family that had heard the paramedics I'd say that. Share that. That's yeah. correct. They actually came to me and said, His wife and and my and my wife Barbara are down here. Do we allow them on the accident scene? Yeah. And I said, I think you can. There's no blood, no there's I mean there was no sign. He looked fine, which by that time they had him in the ambulance. Yeah. And I had they had asked me questions and I had looked in, you know, but they yeah. did not let didn't let them look in. Right. So they had really no way of knowing. But he looked looked okay, but yeah. his breathing didn't sound good at all. I mean it was not right. Right. And I think what did they tell you your oxygen level was when you got down there? 49, 46? And anything in under 90, they start getting a little nervous. Yeah, wow. So you were passed out then, I assume? Yes, yeah. instantly. Instantly, yeah. The minute it hit, the brain shear was just like, yeah. That just cut it off right now. Yeah, wow. And so we got down there and they made us, of course, sit in a little room. Of course, they didn't let us ride in due to the COVID thing. Sure. Yeah, what, what, what an interesting time to experience an accident, right? Because mm-hmm. that was really the the start. That was the start. And and obviously it was um, nobody knew exactly what to do or how bad COVID was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, wow. Thankfully, so then, there was two weeks there. My wife could be in. Now, if something happened, well, even in the month afterwards, people are not allowed in there. They could they'd have one visitor which would have been my wife. Yeah. But other than that, nobody is allowed inside, and it was a while before one visitor was even allowed. They were allowing no one. So she was very thankful she could be in there some of the time, for sure. Yeah. They left us in, and they worked on it, and they, I don't remember the, how long we were there, and then they said, well, now you can go over and be with him in the emergency room. room. He wasn't in a room. They just took us over to where they were working on him. They kind of had him stable. Yeah. And... I was asking, what's this for? What's this selling? You know, I was kind of asking what the screens were, and they were all the time beeping, and they were turning him off because he was not in the normal range. Yeah. They'd reach up and hit the button, and I kind of got the main things, and he started slipping away while we were there. Really? Mm-hmm. They used to, I seen the stuff start going down, and they were start getting more stuff. Pretty soon, the doctor was back in there. Well, what did you get? Well, we gave fifty. C- well, give him fifty more CCs of that. Well, what about the give him some more of that and they yeah. they started pumping stuff and we can't put them two together we'll use another line because they had various lines hooked up to him you know and right gave him stuff and it kind of stopped again and then Stabilized. slowly started coming back up again okay so but there was a moment there that, there was a moment yeah. there that they they thought they were losing him and we were actually standing right beside the bedside oh wow what about the next morning was that well, when you the doctor told us that he's stable and this is now four o'clock in the morning and we decided to go home i mean we had a family at home and there's nothing we could do they didn't let us in you know of course they yeah. said one person and they left her and well there's nothing you can do that we can do so we went home of course till we got to bed it was probably five o'clock yeah and so we had a late breakfast we were out shorn and i would say about seven thirty, we got a call we we're supposed to get back down there his oxygen levels are plummeting again. yeah mm-hmm. wow it's a, an hour and 15 minutes is way too far away from the hospital when right. someone's in that shape. But right. That would have been mostly the aspiration in there, I guess, was... That's the reason. The lungs could barely process the oxygen, and after that's when they would have really went in there and vacuumed all that out, and that definitely helped the oxygen levels a lot. Well, that morning, that morning they did it before we were there, I think, or well, because mm-hmm. we, they left, they didn't want to leave us in, of course, until we said... Well, we're here to see him and ICU yeah. and whatever, but, and so, dude, so they call, of course, called up the ICU and his parents, oh yeah, let him ride in. And I said, well, that wasn't a good sign either. You know, if, yeah. if he'd be in good shape, they wouldn't have left us in. So right. we sat up there and left him, sat there with his wife 
Yeah. And her mom was down by that time. And yeah. They actually. So the, so the oxygen levels weren't related to your brain injury. They're related to That the, was the lungs alone. The lungs yeah. couldn't get it in. Yes, that was not brain related at all. Well, the one side was collapsed, and I think it was also punctured, was no, it not? No, it was the opposite lung was punctured. One was collapsed, the other one was punctured. Okay. But and that was from the ribs? That was from the ribs. ribs. The punctured one was. I collapsed. I'm not sure why the one collapsed, but it was collapsed. So do you, do you have any scars at all from the accident? No scars from the accident. The only scars I have is where they would have had to cut into the rib cage around the fractured ribs. They didn't do anything. They were still in place when they did the x-ray. They just left them healed, but they had to cut in and put a line in for whatever. I don't know, but that's... No, the only scars I would have is where they would have opened me up and stitched back shut. Obviously, there's still scars there, but... Yeah. Yeah. But they were saying at that time, when we were down there, that 72 hours, that is the critical time for brain swelling yeah. and that was their worry but at the moment they were saying if he doesn't have any oxygen to his brain yeah. there's that's that was kind of secondary it was get enough oxygen in his body to keep him alive right and then they did put a I don't know the proper name for a probe in to monitor the pressure yeah and so on on day two they pulled it out I'm like well I thought they said 72 hours is a critical time yeah and boy, his pressure was dropping in his brain, so that was a good sign right. then already that maybe there's not as much severe trauma up there as they initially anticipated. Yeah, wow. So, um, have the uh, have your siblings then still kind of help, started continuing to reach out to you, asking you if they could help you with chores, or is that something that... They pretty much... When I came back, they realized we got chores under control. And even the two weeks my wife was back, I believe she did, primarily did the chores over that time after they told her she can no longer be in the hospital. So we had the chores under control. I definitely, they were definitely all eager to see me at some point whenever I could come over and see them. So, yeah. And still are, still like to see me, I believe. But yes, <laughs> it, it was, it wasn't just them. We had built the barn. The same contractor that built the barn was someone I had worked for for four and a half years, and his children were extremely concerned about me as well. And some of those are younger, like five and six years old, and it was it was a big deal. Yeah, they were they were very very concerned about it. Yeah, so it it has obviously impacted uh, not just family but friends and even their children, and yeah, maybe because of this accident. There'll be kids that'll grow up and decide they're gonna go into medicine and become brain surgeons. Yeah, they might. I know there's a lot of people that I didn't even know that would be like, "You're Darren, right?" Yeah. Was so it, you were the one involved in the four-wheeler accident. Yes. So <laughs> it seems like everybody knows it. So was it picked up in the news or was it just kind of word of mouth? Oh, it was in the local paper. Was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, I appreciate you guys sharing that story um you know for those of you listening obviously you can uh see that we are indeed more than an egg that um our farmers uh again uh bring uh lots of history uh lots of uh, personal stories to this table and this is uh certainly one of the most uh i would say uh exciting uh, and also terrifying and, and meaningful stories that um, I've heard in a long time and just I think too thinking of of not only the uh, you know amazing recovery Darren that you've made um, but to to see just how important community is and family is yeah. uh, in all of this right I mean you think that you know you got uh, a, a barn full of a lot of hens laying eggs and uh, a lot of customers eat your eggs, right? That, yes. Uh, and so to uh, just thinking of how uh, your siblings and others stepped in to keep that supply chain in order, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and to just the, the blessing it is to also do this with, with family, right? I think that you're, you're not isolated out here. You're not an island, but um, you got a great community, great family coming alongside you and that that I need to tell you that you already know you already know all that um 
and like I said, I'm sure they're anticipating some some good Christmas presents, uh, you know, come this year. Because this is amazing to me that it's all happened within the past, what, three months, right? Yeah, it would have been in March. Yeah, last four months for sure. Yep. Yeah, four months. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you guys want maybe to share or feel like you'd give for listeners to know? Following Hitline <clears throat> on that story is... Take life, take life seriously. Don't take it for granted and cherish each moment because you never know. I'll just leave that with you. I would like to say that we'd like to give God the glory and praise for some of the things that happened. There's many little fine things we didn't talk about that just like that chopper thing that would have been bad for him if it would have went the way man planned it. Just a sparsely traveled gravel road to... Young men show up at just the right time. First responder lives within barely a half a mile away from him. Just, I can go down the line and find many things like that that looks like there was a higher hand in in what happened here. Even at the hospital, there was things that definitely were not the way we would think would have happened that just were, just came to pass that you wouldn't have thought would happen. Doctors say that can't happen. Nurses came down to semen therapy. The fellow that we took care of up there, they say, is doing fine, and they wouldn't believe this. He's a miracle. That's what they say when they saw him down there. That's just, that's not what they expected. Yeah. 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 Just like we like, we like to say we're more than an egg. This accident is more than a coincidence, right? It is. Correct. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to talk, to share that story. And thank you all for listening. Again, this is the Scramble Podcast brought to you by Farmers Hen House Eggs that not only taste good, but do good for the farmer, for the hen, for the environment, and for the community. Thanks for listening. Bye. Amazing, amazing life we're all